0: ESPN play gridiron college football show. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Matt Sherry, we are back again. Another busy weekend of college football. One huge upset, which is the biggest talking point, BYU beating Wisconsin. We'll ask what's wrong with the Big Ten. And as the road to the national championship now runs through Baton Rouge, are LSU being hard done by in the polls? Matthew, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon, Matt. Pleasure, Pleasure to be here as ever.
0: Always. Let's dive right in. Camp Randall Stadium, one of the hottest uh, hottest recorded um games in, in Wisconsin history, um, and number six, Wisconsin, taken down by, let's face it, a BYU side that were fresh off a 4-7 and seven season a year ago, a three-point loss to Cal last week. No team outside the Big Ten have beaten the Badgers in Madison since UNLV won almost 15 years ago to the day, 120 degrees, and yet the Cougars never struggled throughout this game, really. It was just a phenomenal, it was the biggest upset of the season so far, and just a phenomenal takedown by, by um, Brigham Young.
1: Absolutely, and it, it also essentially proves certainly me wrong in, in a lot of this preseason stuff that we did because my view essentially was that the Big Ten was the best conference in college football and the first few weeks of, of that has proven that no matter how much of a big 10 fan you you are you simply can't say that anymore because i mean wisconsin were kind of the great hope outside of ohio state i mean there were lots of people who thought this was the year that wisconsin were going to break into the cfp they had the they had the kind of easier side of the of the big 10 in terms of a route through to win the big 10 title and subsequently reach the playoff but it just really gets killed i mean you can afford losses in a season like michigan for example their loss at Notre Dame in week one will look fine if they can run the table in the Big Ten, which is highly unlikely. But you can't lose at home against BYU and realistically retain any hopes of, of being there for the, for the final. It's four. So a disaster for the Badgers, really, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even, even Auburn, you can see a route back for Auburn losing at home to LSU. It's a very difficult route back, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility. It's really difficult to, and and I think it's getting harder and harder because I feel like the gap between the really elite teams and the ones just below them has gotten a little bit bigger. So it's very unlikely that any team is going to have a loss this bad on the schedule and be in the mix for this final four. Because, I mean, even last season, for example, Clemson... Clemson had a loss to Syracuse and still made it in, but it was on the road and that that counts for a lot. I mean, a a team like BYU should not be coming into your building and and beating you. And and as you say, it wasn't like, you know, a lot of the times you see these upsets, it's a crazy late Hail Mary or, you know, something like that happens. This was pretty much BYU just hanging with Wisconsin the whole way and and looking impressive in doing so. So I don't think the manner of the loss, for all it was a close game, score-wise, does them any favours, either.
0: A few key issues I want to get to. First, Wisconsin failed to get Jonathan Taylor going at all there. Heisman, hopeful, sophomore running back. Just seemed to eliminate him from the from the game plan, despite the fact they were never really training by an amount that would make you think they needed to go to the air.
1: And that's with a that's with a quarterback who, let's be honest, it's it's not like you look at that Wisconsin team and think, oh, it's all built around the quarterback. The team should be built around Jonathan Taylor, and it makes me wonder that the whole situation there makes me wonder. Did they look past this game a little bit and think, well, Big Ten player starts in a week's time. We need to be preserving our best player for the tests that are to come. But it just shows in college football. We said this at the start of the season. What makes it so intriguing week to week is you can't afford to do that. I mean, you will play certain games on the schedule where it's it's easy wins. But BYU, they're still a power programme. They're still a good team. This isn't the kind of game where you can just, rock up and say, well, we'll win this game anyway. You've got to still put the requisite amount of effort in and you have to wonder whether that was the problem, but it was a big, big mistake that that really costs this team uh a... A chance to achieve something that the—I mean, when was Wisconsin have they ever won a national title? Certainly not in recent memory. So it cost them something. It cost them the opportunity to do something really special with a great team.
0: Significantly conservative play calling from Wisconsin down the stretch as well. Alex Hornibrook just short passes, uh, flares, those sorts of things. They really sort of—they didn't use that expansive. uh, I mean, I know they're built on that massive offensive line, but you know. Given that this is not Ty Detmer's BYU we're talking about, is it? They, they they really struggle to get a hold of the game at any point through four quarters.
1: Yeah, and it's a big it's a it's a really bad loss on the record of Paul Christ. A guy who we said last week and and I still I still believe is is essentially one of the most underrated coaches in college football because what he continues to do with this programme, despite the recruiting difficulties that they have in the area that they're in and the fact that really they can never really recruit a top 10, top 5, these elite classes that really power the big programmes. But these are, this was just a shocking loss. I mean, I'm really, really struggling to think of a more damaging loss that I can remember in recent seasons for a team who I really, really believed in. I mean, the thing with Wisconsin as well is they were kind of built to play late in the season in these big, big 10 games in outdoor stadiums and cold weather, great offensive line, amazingly talented running back, very good defense. They have all the ingredients there to be the kind of team who could win the big 10 and and then progress onto the, the, the college football playoff. So to essentially have that ultimate aspiration ripped away before you've even got into Big Ten players is just a seismic seismic blow.
0: BYU not phased at all by reputation, were they? I mean Sione Takataki and Zane Anderson, their two senior linebackers had the game of their lives essentially in just kind of in keeping Wisconsin in check really but at no point did they ever struggle to match the physicality as I mentioned earlier, especially in the trenches and that's got to be so disappointing for Paul Christ.
1: Absolutely, because that's the, that's the Wisconsin ace up their sleeve in every game they're playing. They believe that. You know, as I said, it's not like it's the most physically dominant in terms of athletes team, Wisconsin. It never is. But these are generally rugged offensive line teams. I mean, Wisconsin is literally famed for their offensive line. They believe that come game day, they will beat you in the trenches. And ultimately, you can't live with the wear and tear of that over a whole game. But, I mean, BYU dominated that battle. And that's that's a surprise to everyone. Because I think you you always think of Wisconsin having a great offensive line. But I think... Ending the season, me and you discussed disgusted, Simon. You thought the combination of that line and Jonathan Taylor was going to be essentially very, very difficult for any team to, to be. But BYU were there the whole game. As you say, they, they won that battle and it, it, it was just really impressive.
0: Anybody that knows you, Matthew, knows that you are not a fan of icing the kicker. Um, you were very critical on Sunday when we were watching NFL games together um, of uh, late icing by um, Mike Zimmer when it came to Mason Crosby kicking the, uh, the field goal that would have won it for the Packers. You were not a fan. Um, uh, Kalani Sataki, the BYU coach, essentially iced Rafael Gaglianone, the Wisconsin kicker, twice, called back-to-back timeouts when he, as he was setting up for the 42-yard field goal uh, that would have sent the game into overtime. How do, yeah, no, no. Icing, how do you feel about ice? How do you feel about ice the kicker based on based on what you saw there at Camp Randall?
1: I think the data the data generally shows that it's not a good idea because generally it just gives. You, you think about a, a field goal kick is one of the most it's one of the most timed players in football in that you have to get the defense uh, the offense off the field you have to get the offense or the kicking unit, sorry straight on it it rushes the process and a lot of a lot of kickers would rather have the time to. Make sure all of that is right. So generally, I'm against it, but listen, maybe the answer is that you need to keep two timeouts up your sleeve and do it twice. That that's certainly what worked out in this game. Gaglian, only a fifth
0: year senior, should have made the kick. I mean, 42 yards. It's not. We're, we're not talking 56 yards in, in in you know in Lambeau or you know in the wind at yeah. a, a giant stadium. This is a kick he should have made
1: certainly at this time of year as well I mean kicking is so much easier in these stadiums at this time of year the weather was fine it was it was fairly hot out so yeah not, not good but then we've seen NFL kickers miss from less than 30 yards on game winners this weekend as well so it's clearly a problem that, that stretches far beyond the realms of, of Madison it
0: wasn't a good weekend for kickers in football across America let's get to the biggest game of the weekend which saw LSU outlast Auburn on the road a stunning win for the Tigers of Louisiana State over the Tigers of Auburn.
1: Yeah, and I'm not sure a, a single person's stock has gone up more than Ed Orgeron's in the last <laughs> three weeks. <laughs>
0: he, could be, <laughs> he could be the guy on Sesame Street.
1: He really could, and, and I ultimately think that's half of the reason that it's very difficult to have real faith in his ability as a, as a head coach. I mean, he obviously didn't do great in his first head coaching spell at Ole Miss so that's that's that works against him but actually he's had a couple of interim spells now and if you look at the totality of his record at LSU it's 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 heading in the right direction and certainly now I mean I thought this LSU team if it was going to go anywhere under coach or was at least a year away from from challenging in the in the SEC West and now I mean, now, now they hold all the cards. They've won the two difficult road games on their schedule. I mean, you looked at that schedule. I, I remember us chatting about it, Simon, and you were saying, and we were saying, they could easily start one and two, and then the pressure is huge, and that's before they've even played the Alabamas of the world. Now they're three and oh with, I mean, frankly, they should be ranked number one in the polls, simply because of what they've done. I can understand Alabama because have been so dominant, but certainly LSU should be number two in the polls. It's been, Absolutely astonishing, and I thought the, the manner of the victory against Auburn was just so impressive. I mean, the, you know, this game's about X's and O's, but it actually, in the fourth quarter of big games, it's about how well well prepared and and how much do, have you instilled this mental fortitude within a team of players to essentially have led early in that game and then saw Auburn have a really good spell either side of the half and come back and have a significant lead and then to put together two or three drives in that environment on the road for your defence to stand up and make sure Auburn doesn't get any more points, for Joe Burrow having not completed 50% of his passes again to deliver some absolute dimes when he needed them on third down time and time and time again says so much for the mental makeup of this team and that is everything that you look for as a as a fan of any any sports team is when the chips are down at the end can you deliver and I think they did deliver and I think that a lot of the credit for that goes to the head coach.
0: If you missed the game you can watch it on uh, ESPN players on demand uh system. Uh, I finished 22-21 giving the score away for you now and it, uh, it was one on Cole Tracy's 41-yard field goal as time expired. A kicker who <laughs> could deliver <laughs> isn't it? <there>? Absolutely, Absolutely. <laughs> this weekend. And um, Given the strength of the SEC, the road to the national championship now thoroughly runs through Baton Rouge, doesn't it? Because they host Georgia, they host Alabama. Uh, you know, if, I mean, frankly, if they win one of those two games, they're, they're probably still going to get into the playoff as long as they run the table the rest of the way. Would you not say?
1: Yeah, well, that's a, that is exactly what we were talking about with, with Auburn. It, it, before last week, we said if, if Auburn win this game, there's a good chance they'll run the table outside of Alabama and Georgia. So if they can just win one of those two, then they're in the playoff. LSU are now in that absolutely golden position. Although there's one other team I would throw into the mix. I do think Mississippi State can can, if not get to the CFP themselves, upset a life of people who yeah. who who have desires on doing it. Because I think I think Mississippi State are a team who a lot of people are sleeping on. That Nick Fitzgerald is one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the country. They've had, a, they've had a head coaching change as well, but one that's worked very well and looks like it's going to continue to do so. So I think I think they're the other team to, to really watch in the SEC that not many people are, are talking about, despite the fact that I assume they're now ranked in the top 10 after a good start.
0: I mean, Joe Burrow struggled, struggled for, for a great swathe of this, of this game, but his 71-yard touchdown to Derek Dylan was a throw-off a significant beauty still yet to throw an interception this season he is a game manager very much in the mould of a Matt Flynn and a Matt Mork, who have won national championships for LSU under Les Miles and Nick Saban respectively that defence though that defence is the, it seems to be the strength of, of that team led by the true sophomore free safety Grant Delpe who looks like He's going to be another very, very high first-round pick. Not a Jamal... Jamal Ad-
1: Williams part too, isn't he? Jamal he's Adams. Jamal, not Jamal Adams, not, Adams sorry. He's not,
0: he's not quite as physical. As, he, he's Ranger. He's more Earl Thomas. He's more Deontay Thompson than, um, than Jamal Adams. But he certainly looks a, a, a tremendous player. And as I said, the road to the National Championship thro- flows through... Uh, baton rouge let's um let's go to one of the other big games of the weekend ohio state against tcu ohio state ended up winning thanks to four crazy minutes in the in the third quarter which we'll get to but first of all just want to not uh, tip the cap really, to to gary patterson who did a again a hell of a coaching job and one of if not the most underrated coach in college football
1: incredible i mean and truthfully the only difference in this game in the end was ohio state had some players, some of these amazing five-star kids who Ohio State always have, who could just make the play at the time. I mean, if you take out a Nick Bosa strip sack in the end zone that leads to a touchdown, and and these players, Ohio State do not win this game because Gary Patterson had such a great game plan. They executed it brilliantly. I thought TCU were great on all sides of the ball, including a very, very clever special teams kick return that ultimately wasn't a touchdown because it was essentially the lateral across the the end zone. The kid is down on the floor in the end zone, then the lateral across, and he runs the length of the field. The play worked perfectly, except for the ball went forward slightly. Had that been a lateral, that would have been a touchdown, and it's probably a TCU victory. So I thought they were just so, so impressive in this game. And Ohio State were impressive as well, but in the end it was... Ohio State won this game on the basis of two players. Nick Bosa, the guy who could be the first overall pick, Joey's brother, strip sack for a touchdown. And Dremont Jones, probably the MVP of the game, the defensive tackle who about £280 and, and and has a pick six. I mean, that's, a, that, that's the only info you need to know about how spectacular the player was and how spectacular the player is. And in the end, it was athletes rather than coaching that was the difference in the game. I mean, midway through the third quarter,
0: TCU were up 21-13. It was a critical third down for, for Dwayne Haskins in Ohio State. He hits Paris Campbell for the long touchdown on a screen pass that puts them back in the game. Very next possession, Sean Robinson then throws that, that pick six on a ill-fated kind of shovel pass that was picked off by Draymond Jones in return for the touchdown. The disappointing thing was that, that Robinson audible into that play and they'd been having a lot of success running sort of 10 and 15-yard in-cutting routes against Ohio State's uh, corners and safeties. And I, I, was, I struggled to understand why they went away from it. Draymond Jones then scores that touchdown, puts them up, and then... Uh, TCU are forced to punt on the next on their next possession. Punter fumbles the ball, the kick is blocked, and three plays three plays later, Haskins hits KJ Hill. And essentially it's 19 unanswered points that turn a 21-13 deficit into a 32-21 lead that ultimately they never relinquished. But TCU battled hard, didn't they?
1: Incredibly. I mean, even even after those plays, TCU were still very much in the game, and you thought to yourself yeah they they could come back there was never a point watching that game where I thought right it's done now yeah even after that and that that's a testament to to really how our brains are programmed watching a Gary Patterson team and really what they've done throughout the rest of the game and and, and also the the annoying thing is when the um when the cFP panel look back on this game they're going to essentially view it as a as a road win for Ohio State because it was at a t and t stadium but as we mentioned on the podcast last week it wasn't a road atmosphere i mean i think it was about 70 30 ohio state fans in ATT t stadium which shows how great that fan base is so it it's a it's a win that is going to look amazing for ohio state at the end of the year but a one that in context it was the difference was purely the the quality of athlete in the end for me i thought i thought tcu essentially outcoached Ohio State and, and probably deserved to win but in the end it does come down to talent as well
0: one question now Urban Meyer returns as head coach having been suspended so return for the two lane game and then Penn State next weekend where do you think that leaves Ryan Day who clearly aced his audition as the stepping up from offensive coordinator to head coach he was terrific with the kids he was tremendous off the field with the media his press conferences were absolutely superb his coaching decisions all seem to be the right ones especially in those critical moments against TCU what do you think happens to Ryan Day next season? Because uh, I'm sure the boosters at Ohio State would like to keep him as a potential long-term replacement for for Urban Meyer, who they can't be overly happy with, regardless of you know national championships and things. But I'm sure there are going to be a number of organisations looking and thinking Ryan Day could be the man that leads our leads our school back to the to the very top because he did such a tremendous job.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he can have one of these. I think he can have a fairly big job whenever he wants I mean. I'm fairly certain that before Joe Moorhead was was given the the Mississippi State job, that that the, the, the was a guy that that were really interested in, and he essentially turned down the opportunity to interview for it. He turned down the opportunity to be the Tennessee Titans as offensive coordinator as well. So this is a guy who is in demand across all levels of football. I mean, I wouldn't. Would you rule out him getting an NFL head coaching job? I certainly think he'd be interviewed. I mean. He's he's clearly he's clearly got a lot of buzz, so I think I think the world is very much his oyster at the moment. I mean, do you think
0: he's potentially a sort of Josh McDaniels to, to Urban Myers, Bill Belichick?
1: Maybe, and the only thing I would say is that uh, you have to think with with Urban Myers' whole performance on on what's gone on, and he's been in the news a lot the last few days because he's given interviews on. On this and the fact that essentially the guy really seemingly comes across as somebody who still doesn't really believe he's done anything wrong and and kind of feels wronged by it and the fact he hasn't even seemingly contemplated a resignation, I, I think Evan May is going to be in situ for a, a lot of years left yet in Columbus. So that's the only roadblock I would say to that, unless the boosters just say, "Look, we enough's enough." Through yeah. the season, enough's enough, but. At the end of the day, we're talking about as as impressive an assistant and interim guy as Ryan Day has been. We're, we're talking about essentially offloading one of only two sure things in coaching in college football and and really one of the greatest college football coaches of all time I think you can potentially
0: uh, point to four coaches in college football and I think Day is one of them who potentially would be of a significant interest at the next level Ryan Day Matt Campbell who's the Iowa State head coach who is widely praised widely talked about and then obviously two guys that will feature next month in the the magazine which are Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma who seems made for the NFL and Matt Rule at Baylor all of those guys have have got quite a, a significant amount of NFL buzz around them so it wouldn't surprise me if even if all four of them finally ended up in uh, you know coaching on sundays let's let's move to um, one of the other what we thought was going to be one of the other big games of the weekend which was Boise State against Oklahoma State never really became a game did it because Oklahoma State just stomped all over Boise pretty much from the get-go.
1: And I think on the underrated list, we we need to start viewing Mike Gundy more as well because, I mean, I, I, I thought... I, I mean, the the hair... The, Mike Gundy's hair is his equivalent <laughs> of Ed Orgeron's voice, isn't it? I mean, you, you watch what they do on the sidelines as coaches and it's impressive, but there's always the voice, there's always the hair. So, um, yeah, that's a difficult one to overcome. But, I mean, what's also difficult to overcome is losing your kind of long-term starter in, in in Mason Rudolph and James Washington, who also went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, a real superstar receiver in college football and a bunch of other guys again. And I, I think that a lot of people thought Oklahoma State would be high on the list of teams who would take a step back, but I mean, they haven't. I mean, Boise State were as impressive as any team in college football over the first two weeks of the season. They not only beat teams, but they were blowing doors off teams and racking up, Incredible numbers on offense, but Oklahoma State won this game on their defense, and that which is incredible for a school that is essentially programmed entirely around offense. So they they look a really well rounded team now, Oklahoma State, and it seems that the the big game against Oklahoma again in the Big Twelve might ultimately be the one that that determines that that game's known as bedlam, and 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 it could be again because that that game is already a one to get circled on your calendar in a few weeks time.
0: You are listening to the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Matt Sherry. Don't forget, you can sign up for a monthly or annual pass to get ESPN Player's extensive coverage of college football, which includes more than 700 games this season, this season even put my teeth in, more than 700 live and on-demand games, plus three channels, simulcast direct from the US. That's ESPNU, the SEC Network, and the Longhorn Network. You can also access a great range of documentaries from the ESPN Films Catalogue, including their critically acclaimed 30 for 30, With programs such as Roll Tide, War Eagle, Elway to Marino, Run Ricky Run, etc., etc., and if that wasn't enough, when you sign up, you get a free seven-day trial. I am not just saying this because they are our sponsor, but on Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening, I was literally just flicking around from four or five different games. It's so easy to do to just flick back and forth. As soon as one goes to commercial, you can just pick a game. Even if you know, I, I ended up on Rhode Island UConn, which turned out to be an absolute classic at the end. And it was fascinating just to flick back and forth and end up, you know, one minute you're with Trevor Lawrence, next minute you're with UConn, um, uh, Island, and the next minute you're at, you know, Alabama Ole Miss, the next minute it's LSU, Auburn, you, you can flick about all over the place. It, it was, it was terrific and tremendous fun. What's not tremendous fun is Florida State, um, <laughs>
1: Is Which, this the last time we're going to mention them before... Before Willie Taggart is fired. fired. I mean,
0: it, it is absolutely astonishing. And you can read more about the Willie Taggart situation in the uh, unfortunately, le- unfortunately named Clancy on Campus uh, article. I did not come up with that name. I would just like to tell you, dear listener, it had nothing whatsoever to do with me. But it is a kind of weekly review of everything that happened around college football at the weekend. It came out this morning... Um, you'll also be able to see our preview video, which will drop usually on Friday or Saturday, previewing the games that we think you should be able to see and watch and enjoy on the college football Saturdays. Florida State lost 30-7 to to Syracuse, the first time in 52 years they'd lost to the Orange Men. It is an absolutely unmitigated disaster. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, they're now 1-2. and two. The already hot seat has now become significantly hotter for Willie Taggart. News out of Tallahassee on on, uh, on Saturday night was that people were asking about how much it would cost to buy out the contract of I him, and it turns out it'd be around twenty one point five million, which is a significant amount of money. Um, eight GoFundMe accounts have been launched by supporters to try and raise a significant amount of cash, but it obviously it's going to take a lot of donations. They just looked absolutely atrocious. I mean. They couldn't pass protect poor DeAndre Francois. Cam Akers was being hit in the backfield on almost every play. They lacked heart. They lacked hustle. And there's so many five-star kids on that team. They, they just seemed utterly, utterly clueless, utterly mismanaged. I mean, I'm not sure how much... I mean, I think, you know, you talk to people like Doc Staples and, uh, and Wayne around the around the campus, and it's clear that Taggart is going to get this season. But you do wonder whether or not, if they don't significantly pick up not just the results, but the way that the team are performing, that he may well be on the outs.
1: I mean, so it's the second week in a row that we've called an upset. But I think we made it clear that we wouldn't consider this an upset if Syracuse won. And and Syracuse were, were plus three on the spread. I mean, they beat them 37. It's not even... It wasn't even that close either. It's, it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like they're even close to what the expectations would be for a Florida State team. Now, I think Syracuse are better than they usually are this year, but they're not that much better. And the big, the big problem to me is how disinterested the players look. I mean, I thought against Virginia Tech, at least the defence stuck to the task in week one and and in the face of some difficulties, seemed that they are bought into the programme. At this point, it, it, it almost feels like Taggart has lost the locker room quicker than any coach this side of maybe Matt Patricia in Detroit in the NFL at the moment where it seems fairly toxic as well. It's, it's truly astonishing. And I, I ended the year thinking the Florida State, if Taggart was the coach that I've always been told he was, I think I said last week I was never a million percent sure by what I'd seen, but you have to believe that there's no smoke without fire. If he was the guy I thought he was, I actually thought Florida State were a team that a lot of people were sleeping on. There's always a lot of talent there. They have a quarterback who I know me and you really like, Simon. But this is an absolute dumpster fire. I mean, there's not a single game in their schedule that I look at and think, oh, well, they might win that. I mean, I looked at the game on the 29th of September at Clemson that thinking, well, that could be one of the one of the games of the season. I mean, they'd be lucky if they're within 40 points of Clemson in that game. It's It's an absolute... Travesty, how bad it is! I mean, I know you 're a you Seminole yourself simon it's not it 's not a good situation, is it it 's a terrible
0: situation, like you say it's, it feels like it 's become a slightly toxic situation. I mean the fan base has turned dramatically i mean look they 're one, two. they needed to come from behind in the fourth quarter to be fCS sanford <laughs> i mean they didn 't lead for for one second. Until the f- until the 56th minute of the game, there were four minutes left in that Sanford game when they finally went ahead and sealed the win with a pick six to make it 36-26 and a game that was significantly closer. You know they are averaging five points per game against FBS teams. They've only scored one touchdown against an FBS team, and that was in the in the latter minutes of the Syracuse debacle at the weekend. You know the, they have a the, the NCAA record of of winning streaks is 41. Florida State are currently at 40. The, that streak is in significant doubt. I mean, I, I don't see any way that they that they end up with a winning record this season. No, I, I see no way whatsoever. It is I cannot think of a more underwhelming start to an era into, or to any season, frankly, in Tallahassee than, than this is currently. It is astonishing and, and Taggart comes out on his Monday press conference and says that, you know, he the fans have every right to have high expectations and nobody has higher expectations than I do and you know, it's been an underwhelming underwhelming start, Willie. You're not kidding, son. I mean, it is absolutely phenomenal. The place thing, that. We,
1: that we... The thing with Taggart is he's been astonishingly unimpressive both during the games and in the press conferences after as well. That's the problem. Ain't? During the games, the guy looks completely motionless. The only thing I can compare it to is the eight months that David Moyes was in charge of Man United when you just looked at a guy and was like...
0: This is too big for you. Completely out of your yeah.
1: depth. Totally out of mm. your depth.
0: Right, deep breath. Bad news out of the way. Let's get to a couple of good news stories or a couple of you know, fun stories. Texas Tech, Houston, 112 points in this game. It finished uh, 63-49 to Texas Tech in an astonishing game. Tech's freshman quarterback, Alan Bowman, had an eye-popping five, uh, 605 yards passing, five touchdowns. He was 43 of 59. This is a true freshman quarterback. Antoine Wesley caught 13 balls for 261 yards and four of those touchdowns. I mean, that was an astonishing... I mean, literally no defence played. Ed Oliver must have felt, you know, the Houston defensive tackle who would be a top three pick in the draft must have been like, what, what on earth is going on? But that was an astonishing game as well, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. I also think it's a game that ultimately underlines the vast differences in quality between the likes of Alabama and everybody else because this Texas Tech, t- Houston are a team who people looked at as maybe one of the best teams outside of the, the Power Five. Texas Tech were handled fairly comfortably by Ole Miss in a, in a week one game. And Ole Miss were beaten, what easily if Alabama hadn't taken their foot off the gas, it was like 59-7, to 7, but it could have been 100-7. to 7. So if you ever want an indication of how big a disparity the levels are in college football, then this is probably... a a good case study to give you that.
0: I mean, that was six yards short of the NCAA freshman passing record that was set back in 1998 by David Neal. It's only the third time in FBS history a freshman quarterback has thrown for 600 or more yards in a game. I mean, just an astonishing performance. And in fact, he broke the Texas Tech record set by, um, set by Patrick Mahomes in terms of passing yards at, at, uh, at Tech. So, uh, kudos to him. The other, the other. Uh, There's a
1: good, there's a good lineage of quarterbacks. I mean, I mean, you've got Mahomes, Baker Mayfield. Before he transferred to Ho- Oklahoma, was on campus there. So, so Texas Tech really have a, a nice history. and Cliff Ginsbury did a did a really nice job with Mahomes as well. So, if if you're if you're someone new to college football and just want to watch a really fun offensive team and a lot of points, Texas Tech. Are, are uh, certainly a place to go for that every week. He also didn't throw an
0: interception despite throwing 59 passes which is uh which is pretty good for for, for Alan Bowman who's definitely a quarterback worth keeping an eye on especially Especially
1: in next... as as you mentioned Ed Oliver I know he's one guy but on the other side of the field that's the probably the most dominant well maybe the most dominant player in college football so it, it's astonishingly impressive.
0: The, the final point from, from last weekend I want to talk about is the, uh, is the North Texas punt return, which I don't know if you saw. You'll be able to watch on um, on ESPN Players On Demand system. But essentially, North Texas, not only did, did they thrash Arkansas, which was a surprise in itself, but um, Marty Biagi, the special teams coach, had called for a, a specific punt return in which Keegan Brewer, the return man, essentially didn't signal a fair catch. And when he caught the ball... He sort of jumped up and down on the spot looking to chuck it to the referee, and the Arkansas players looked a little bit confused but sort of trotted off towards the sideline. At which point, Brewer then ran up the left sideline for a, a long punt return touchdown. It was a phenomenal play. And Biagi gave an interview to, to Bleacher Report where he said that not only had this play been practiced endlessly through spring and summer, trying to work out how it would work, trying to hold Arkansas defenders in, in terms of blocking lanes for slightly longer than they would do, talking to the referees before the, um, before the punt was taken just to warn them not to blow the whistle so quickly because something special was coming. And also it takes a hell of a leap of faith from Keegan Brewer to know that you know an entire special teams unit is running headlong at you and not to put your hand up and and therefore not to have your head taken off. But it was all carried out to absolute perfection. It was one of the great plays. You'll be able to see it, as I said, on ESPN player. It was a great play, wasn't it, Matt?
1: Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, that's the thing I was going to point out. The bravery from the, the, the actual returner is amazing because you're essentially asking him to catch the ball and stand there to be hit if one of the opposing players realises what's happened. So, yeah, that was awesome. It was brilliantly executed. You see a lot of this fun stuff in college football. This is maybe the kind of stuff that you'll maybe get, like, two or three players like this a season in the NFL. But in college football, you get something funky like this most weeks. And um, this is one that I'm sure we'll all remember for a long time. It was it was really cool. Um Certainly cooler than... I meant to mention the Houston-Texas ge- Tech game if people are looking for videos from the weekend. Have you seen the, the Houston play where the the officials inexplicably just allow them to throw two forward passes and yes. never say anything? so bizarre.
0: So bizarre. There was some odd officiating calls. The end of the Arizona State game was at, was... Significantly badly officiated when there was that. That should be a rule change. Though, I mean, shouldn't it? that was astonishing. There was a target, essentially a targeting uh, call in the uh, in the end zone uh, at the end of the game, which should have essentially moved the ball to the Arizona State should have had the ball with six seconds left at the two yard line. Uh, the guy was chucked out of the game for the hit, but they weren't. The penalty wasn't actually assessed, and so they had to stay where they were and obviously the, the last ditch Hail Mary fell incomplete when they could have you know nobody's saying they could have necessarily completed the pass on the, on the final play of the game but they would have had a significantly better option or significantly better chance of going to 3-0 to and 0. Arizona State now 2-1 and one, fall out of the, the top 25 through no fault of their own really know San Diego State played very well but ultimately San Diego State should not have won that game Arizona State should have won it and we kind of feel bad on the on the podcast because we've we've picked up Herm Edwards for a couple of weeks, Herm Edwards for a couple of weeks and um this is what we end up with, but hey ho, let us look ahead to next week. Um, two big games, sort of on the schedule that we uh, that we're a big we're big fans of. First of all, a battle of the unbeaten's on the on the west coast, which sees Oregon against Stanford in the Pac-12. It's a battle of sort of Heisman hopefuls, Justin Herbert the quarterback of Oregon against Bryce Love. If he's healthy, it could be a statement game for Herbert and, and the Ducks to prove that they're back on track nationally. Stanford's defense has been terrific so far this season. Um, Herbert is only one and five against ranked teams, which is not a particularly good record. Um, and it's going to kind of need his his best effort, really, um, if the Ducks are to top the Cardinal. But if Love can't overcome that injury, which forced him to miss the win over UC Davis at the weekend, it's going to pile some pressure on KJ Costello, isn't it? The Stanford quarterback. And it should be a really, really interesting battle because this could be a, a seismic Heisman moment for Justin Herbert, who really needs something to get himself back into the race.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A seismic Heisman and potential first overall pick down the line moment for him I mean these are the kind of games that NFL scouts will watch particularly against Stanford because if I was if I was scouting a, a, a prospect on any side of the ball I would want to see them against Stanford because they're always well coached guys they're general they're NFL type schemes certainly on offense it's, a, it's purely a pro style offense so I always think that Stanford's a good matchup to scout a player against so it's a massive game for Herbert I mean you look at it, both teams unbeaten. Stanford ranked number seven, Oregon 20. I think Stanford are the better football team. I think that changes slightly if Bryce Love isn't isn't good to go. I think that really evens up the matchup. So, Oregon need to win their game. I mean, they're at home. It's a big stage. You've got a quarterback who people are touting as a first overall pick. This is a huge moment for them. But, flip side of that is, if Stanford win the game, particularly without Bryce Love... And we hope he's healthy for the game itself. But just say they did. That would be a major statement for them in terms of C F P and and the relation with that. I mean, they're already ranked number seven. They've I think they've been I, I think Stanford and Mississippi State are the two teams who've been as impressive as anybody under the radar in the first few weeks of the season I mean Stanford we mentioned San Diego State they handled them really well in week one and that's a good team I mean that's an underrated team they've beaten USC handily another good win without Bryce Love this week so I think I think this is this is a fascinating fascinating game and one that ultimately I really couldn't call I I could see it going either way I could see Herbert really announcing himself on the national stage and putting in a performance and, and Oregon getting the win but I could also see Stanford who as I've said I think are the better team making that statement as well and it's going to be fascinating to see which way it goes If you're looking for
0: NFL talent Jalen Jokes, the uh, Oregon uh, defensive end with first round potential if he can get into KJ Costello's face consistently then Oregon could win this Now a battle of teams that maybe 15 years ago we'd have seen as kind of number one against number two sees Michigan against Nebraska Nebraska lost again at the weekend um, They're now zero and two, which is a, a, a you know goes without saying, doesn't it? Really, it's a, an incredibly disappointing start for Scott Frost. But they did so last weekend without the sensational freshman quarterback Adrian Martinez, who is back from injury suffered against Colorado, and he brings something special to the table, doesn't he, Matt? Because he has a rifle for an arm; he's very accurate, but he's also incredibly mobile. He runs that that uh, that sort of read off, read. Uh, Reed offense, the RPO's offense that Scott Frost likes to run so well. Um, there's going to be a huge emphasis placed on three sort of fairly legitimate top 40 candidates on the Michigan defense, aren't there? In, in Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, and Devon Bush to essentially keep Martinez in check, especially when he tries to escape the pocket. It should be a fascinating battle, which Michigan come in as favourite, but the X factor of Martinez, especially if he's 100% healthy, with Stanley Morgan out wide up against Ambry Thomas could be a very, very interesting battle.
1: Absolutely. And I I mean, I think Nebraska, 0-2 does them a real injustice to, to start this season. I mean... Their first game against Akron was cancelled. They lost 33-28 to a very good Colorado team in, in a game in which Martinez, I thought, was very... I mean, you compare Martinez's first game to what we've seen from JT Daniels at USC as another red, uh, another true freshman quarterback. And I actually think he was really impressive in that first game. And then and then they've played a Troy team who, let's be honest, this is a Troy team that won in Baton Rouge last year. They, 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 they're no pushovers. Another close game, 24-19 loss. But they played that game with a true freshman, in sorry, a walk-on in Andrew Buncher, quarterback. So I I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as the own two would suggest for Nebraska. Martinez is back this week. I think this is one of the most intriguing games of the week because Michigan, they had a really bad start in, in week one. They were really impressive in week two. They did what they needed to do in week three against SMU without being outstanding. But Shea Patterson is getting more comfortable by the week. He's looked really impressive the last two weeks. And actually, in in amongst some really bad offensive play calling and offensive line play, did pretty well in the opening game against Notre Dame. So I think it's a big game for both teams. It's the first Big Ten game for both teams. And and an intriguing one, because I I think Nebraska are better than Owen too. And I think Michigan... It's interesting. I mean, I'm a Michigan fan, but... I still see the huge potential on both sides of the ball. I mean, they've got the talent to mix it with with any team in college football. So it's interesting to see whether those pieces start to come together now with Shea Patterson, at quarterback.
0: But saying all that, you still wouldn't be surprised if Adrian Martinez and Nebraska pulled one out of the bag, would you?
1: Absolutely not. And that's what makes it so fascinating. I mean, and it would be huge for Scott Frost as well because the difficulty that Scott Frost has at Nebraska, this is a hometown guy who was one of the hottest coaches on the market, returning to Nebraska as kind of the saviour. The problem with Nebraska is they have the most difficult recruiting problem of of any team in college football, any big team anyway. There's no talent in their their area. So all of their recruiting is done outside of the, the area. So essentially, the start of the season is really important for them because they're getting all these kids in when it's not minus 30 degrees and who wants to if you're a college kid from Florida would you want to go to Nebraska in December and be recruited in that that weather with a team who's like oh 8 so if they can win this game it, it does a lot for the programme early on in the recruiting stakes as well
0: Absolutely before we get out of here let's get to the to the Heisman list um, our top five this week we had um I've essentially gone, uh, and you can see this on the Clancy on Campus, I didn't choose that name, Clancy on Campus uh, <laughs> article that's now up on the website. Um, in fifth place, I've gone for Darrell Henderson, the Memphis running back, who had yet another sort of scintillating game at the uh, at the weekend. Um, he ran for 233 yards, I think, against Georgia State. Following up a 200-yard game the previous week, leads the nation now with 521 yards rushing at an obscene 14 and a half yards per carry. Um, so I've stuck him in at number five. I mean, he is the best running back currently in the nation. You can take your AJ Dillons, you can take whoever, but Jonathan Taylor as your Bryce Loves. He currently is the best tailback in the country. A four-wheel Greer who moves down a spot essentially his game was cancelled so he falls down through no fault of his own unfortunately it, I mean I just can't keep Kyler Murray out of the top five any longer another stunning
1: yeah, has to be in so. he's number
0: one for me another stunning performance by Murray who you know he is um he is one hell of a player. Dwayne Haskins... Especially
1: especially without Rodney Anderson for absolutely. the first time. I mean, that was... And then Iowa State, we've mentioned the head coach. That was a trap game think, right? for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of those games. Did they lose to them last year? They did, and they lost at home yeah. to them last
0: year as well. So this was on yeah, the road. So. so, you know, they overcame. It was a good game, and they overcame in a good game. But Murray was 100% the difference. Dwayne Haskins, then the Ohio State quarterback at two... Uh, and it's hard. It's hard for me to remove Tunga, uh, Tua Tagovailoa from the number one spot. Eleven of 191 yards, two touchdowns, forty-seven more yards rushing on the ground. I think, though, Matt, the thing that will keep him from winning the Nation- from winning the Heisman is that I mean, he was out of the game against Old Miss before the half. You know, Jalen Hurts came in before halftime. I mean, I think Hurts had two drives before halftime because Alabama were up so big. So Alabama's dominance potentially could be the thing that keeps him from taking home the Heisman Trophy at the end of the season. But, I mean, he's the best quarterback. He is the best quarterback in the country. and I don't think there's any doubt about it.
1: He's, he's already bordering on the best quarterback I've ever seen in college football. He's astonishing. The guy is a joke and, and still yet to, yet to have an incompletion on third down, which is a joke. An absolute joke. How long can that go on? I mean, if for no other reason, watch Alabama just to see how long that record can last because it's truly astonishing that three weeks in, we're still there. And
0: if you're a fan of college football and the NFL, then do watch it anyway just to see what the first overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft looks like. because And, and you know, the 2019 draft is not going to be a particularly strong draft for quarterbacks. You have you Will as Steven Montez at, at Colorado, potentially Justin Herbert, um... Brian Lewerker, Stidham maybe. Stidham maybe, the Michigan State quarterback, maybe DeAndre Francois. But overall, you're not going to see the sort of talent that we had previously in April, and certainly not the sort of talent that's coming you know over the hill, as it were, in the next few drafts. But tunga, Tua tunga Vailoa, and I'll get his name right soon, uh, I promise, will be the first overall pick in the draft. And you will be able to, you will see teams potentially... Stockpiling picks, won't you, for the 2020 draft, knowing that you know if he comes out, you know a team with two first-round picks or you know and potential trade-away players is going to be a team in strong position to try and get him when he does declare.
1: Yeah, I mean we were, we were chatting yesterday about in terms of I think we were talking about the Giants and and where they might end up draft pick wise. And I said if I was any team with a high pick in 2019, I would immediately. Be because we, we, you know for a fact that you, these picks are always trade assets because teams will always trade up and fall in love with a guy so if I was that I would be stockpiling assets for the next year to, to get after this class because it's not just him I mean you're going to have Jake Fromm out as well I think they'll go 1-2 one, one, that year I'd be stunned if they never so it, it looks very very exciting on the horizon Difficult though if you're a team like the New York Giants
0: and I'm sure teams can't do that you can't look ahead you, you can't because you know you well, Giants... might not
1: be in a job for much longer if you've, if you've taken Saquon Barkley second overall and, and, and refused to take but the, Sam Darnold Would the Giants
0: take a trade down to a you know and not take. Let's say they finish with the first pick. They don't take Nick Bozer because they're essentially looking ahead to 2020 in the hope because he may not declare in the hope that Tua Tungavilo comes out. I'm not sure you can do that regardless of your job status because you could do that. Avoid taking Bozer. Bozer wins Rookie of the Year, gets 15 sacks, and then, t- and then two. Uh, well, but or or you stay and and Tua stays in college, and then you're screwed. Yeah. So, and the problem,
1: the problem is, there's more chance of Tua staying in college than, than maybe other quarterbacks, because Alabama's one of them places where you're like, well, I can win. You know, I can. You've obviously got 15 years of a pro career ahead of you. Tua, Tua could easily become the greatest college quarterback of all time. I mean, for three full years at Alabama,
0: he could win comfortably. Win four national championships and three Heisman trophies, and I don't think that's a stretch yeah, to say that that's a possibility. Yeah, right. absolutely. That is it for this week on the ESPN Player Gridiron College Football Show. Don't forget, Clancy on Campus is out every Tuesday. The podcast, this podcast that you listen to, drops Wednesday or Thursday. And then at the weekends, we'll have the preview video where you can look ahead to everything that is everything on the college football landscape. You will be able to find us on social media. We'll be talking college football all over the weekends, um, as we always do. And we shall be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the action and looking ahead to the end of the first month of college football. It's been a great ride so far. Excited to see what happens this weekend. Have a good time. Matt, thanks very much
1: indeed. I'm uh, just going to say one final thing. This is the last week that you can enter the competition for a free year of ESPN player. So head to our website and do that. We've there's, there's already a bunch of people who've signed up, so make sure that you, you put yourself in the mix to, to have a chance to win.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, mate. Cheers, buddy. Bye now.
1: Thanks, man. Um, so I've, I've looped you in with that Jags guy about. F- the situation in the Pacific is worse than reported.
0: The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the Director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover the incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now.